0: You are Locked On Chargers, your daily podcast on the Los Angeles Chargers. Part of the Locked On
1: Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: What is up and welcome into the Lockdown Chargers Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wade. Joining us always by my co-host, David Droegemeyer, and we are two writers who have been covering the Chargers for over five seasons. We started doing our own Facebook Live show, Chargers Domination Live. I write for the LA Football Network, and this is our fourth season as the host of the Lockdown Chargers Podcast, bringing you your team every day. What's up, guys? Well, I know it was a tough weekend, but we have another great show for you guys today. So a special thank you to anyone who is checking out the show for the first time today. And another special thank you to those who are checking back in with us again. And to make sure you don't miss any show, you can find the show wherever you get your podcast from for free on all platforms. On today's show, we have to get into our staple of the Tuesday episodes during the season. That is what went right and what went wrong. And there's so much wrong to get into on this show. We're going to end things with what went right because You have to find a silver lining there. And I thought, you know, some guys like Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, I think you could throw Asante Samuel Jr. in there. There were some guys who had good games on Sunday, even in a very bad game against the Cowboys. But we're going to start the show by talking about something I've seen everywhere, which is people starting to buy into the notion that Justin Herbert could be in a sophomore slump and also just people in general questioning the offense. So we'll talk about our concern level there as far as what the offense has been able to do in two weeks. And if Justin Herbert is slumping after having, you know, two touchdowns and three interceptions in the first two games of the season. So before we get into that, I need to tell you guys about the Locked On NFL Draft Show because it's back. And it's the best place to get all of your draft coverage with Eric Crocker, the former NFL player who's bringing you the player scouting, and Ryan Tracy who brings the analytics. Make sure to follow Locked On NFL Draft Podcast on YouTube, the Odyssey app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, David, well, one of the biggest things that's going to happen, especially after a tough loss like that, is, you know, some overreactions and I think some questioning. And I do think that some of it is fair, but a lot of it, too, is overreacting, too. And I just think that there are certain things you can be very, very concerned about. I mean, we'll get into that today with what went wrong on Sunday's game. I mean, a lot of things that won't necessarily get fixed before next week. But one of the things that I've been seeing now is Justin Herbert in his sophomore slump? And this is something we debated before the season. Do we think he's going to have a slump? He does have another new offensive coordinator, another new head coach, which we knew he's already had, you know, so many times throughout his first year in the NFL and his years and his years in college. But I think this is a big time overreaction, David, because the one thing I've kind of come away from in these last two games is Justin Herbert is still playing extremely well, better than he even did last season. And I think I really trust Brandon Staley at the end of the game in the press conference when he's saying, I thought Justin Herbert was the best player on that football field today, even with the two interceptions. And I think a lot of that had to do with how much got called back over the weekend. So many of the big plays that would have given him a big day like people became accustomed to seeing his rookie season. They got called back by penalties, and that was the Chargers' fault a lot of the times. But I do think this is talk about, you know, the sophomore slump already kind of starting for Justin Herbert is very premature.
1: It's absolutely ridiculous, Daniel. I mean, come on. Look at the stats here. Through two games, he's 62 of 88 for 675 yards, a completion percentage of 70.5%. 70% completion percentage. I'm going to say that again. He's averaging 343 yards per game, two touchdowns. Yeah, he's got the three picks, but one of them I'm not going to put on him. Keenan Allen slipped and fell, and that's that's not him. Uh, and so, no, he's not. He's still making great throws, fitting the ball into tight windows. He's feeling the pressure. He's extending plays. He's throwing accurately on the run. Herbert right now, through two games, if he keeps the same pace, he's on pace for 5,600 passing yards, Daniel. So to tell me that he is in a sophomore slump or is regressing is ridiculous. And
0: I don't know that that's like a huge storyline out there right now, but I have seen it, you know, floating around social media. And basically, we're just here to tell you that there's nothing to be worried about, right? And I do think that, yeah, obviously, Justin Herbert is on pace, you know, for that many yards. in a 17-game season, but he's also, you know, on pace for like 1,000 interceptions at this point, too, which I do think will come down. He went the last four games of the season without throwing an interception in 2020. There's really only one terrible play where I am just like, okay, that's just a totally bad throw. And that was the interception against the Washington football team. Where he just you know overthrew Steven Anderson, made a bad decision. At least the other ones, like one Trayvon Diggs against the Cowboys, just made a ridiculously acrobatic play when he was starting give to it Keenan him. Allen. He made a good play. Totally. I mean, that would have got a lot of quarterbacks there, I think, and especially you know throwing to Keenan Allen. It wasn't a bad throw. The other one was in the end zone where Keenan Allen slips. So like all those like those things are going to balance out over the whole season, right? Those things over the course of the season are going to balance out, and Justin <laughs> Herbert is going to finished with way more touchdowns than he is interceptions, but I do. Well, I think he's
1: shown that he can improve, though, too. He, He can make mistakes, he can learn from those mistakes, and he can move forward. He showed that last year. I think he still has that ability. Yeah, exactly,
0: and I think a big part of this, too, is just people having such high expectations for the Chargers offense, and now through two weeks, they've only scored 37 points, and I do think it's not a concern, but it has been a problem so far this season. I mean, that is not enough... For this team in this offense who have not eclipsed 20 points in either of the first two games against the Cowboys and the Washington football team, it's not good enough. And I think that with the Chargers, the offense has been doing what they're doing well. I mean, they're moving the ball almost at will. And that's one of those things, David, that we talked about, missing out on opportunities, converting in the red zone, finishing off drives. And I think that's been the biggest issue, which is weird because like you have Mike Williams, you have Donald Parham. You have Keenan Allen, you have Austin like You have a bunch of guys that a lot of teams would want when they get down near the red zone. It just doesn't seem like they've totally found out how to use it yet. I mean, Mike Williams is really the only one doing anything in the red zone with his two touchdowns through two weeks. But when you look at this, the Chargers are fifth in the league in total yards per game right now. That's good offense, right? You're moving the ball well. Unfortunately, on the flip side of that is when you don't score touchdowns, you're not going to score enough points. and. They're 27th in the league in points scoring through two weeks, so 5th in yards per game, 27th in points per game, David, and I think that's just the biggest thing, the biggest reason I'm not concerned about the Chargers offense is because I think they'll figure some of that out, and I don't think they'll be nearly as bad as they have been, but obviously the you can see the offense working.
1: Oh, you can definitely see the offense working. They're getting everybody involved. They're getting the ball to Jared Cook. They're getting it to Mike Williams, not just on the deep passes, not on just the 50-50 balls. They're giving him opportunities for yak yards. Keenan Allen's still heavily involved. They got Eckler involved in the passing game. They're running the ball decently. Uh, I think they're setting up plays with the play calling. Uh, both in-game and throughout the season. They're setting up plays that you're going to see later on in the season that they set up with tendencies that they showed in the first two games. So I think the there's a little bit of an overreaction there, too. I like the Chargers offense. I think they're very efficient, at least moving the football. They just need to get better in the red zone where it counts. But no, I'm, I'm not really worried about this Chargers offense. I think they're going to figure it out because they have better protection and they have a golden arm quarterback in Justin Herbert.
0: And I think when things are all said and done, this even through two weeks being, you know, the fifth worst team in the NFL at scoring the football, I do think at the end of the year, they'll still be a top 10 scoring offense. I just think that this is something that will work itself out. You're going up against another good matchup this week, going up against the Kansas City Chiefs, who just got diced up by the Ravens. They'll have a chance to put up some big time offensive numbers. We haven't seen it yet, but at this point through two weeks, I'm not worried about the Chargers' offense. I've actually been very encouraged by what I've seen and then just supremely frustrated by what's happened, whether it's penalties or crazy fumble calls through the end zone or interceptions with guys falling down. Those are all things that have happened so far in the red zone, which or I just don't think will terrible sack calls. Yeah, or a terrible sack calls. I mean, so many things. The lack of calls even for the Chargers against you know their opposing team. I mean, there's just been so much there. I'm going to give it some time to work itself out. I understand why people are like, this offense is supposed to be great. I do think it'll still get there as far as being a really good offense in 2021. But we do have two more segments to get into. So unfortunately, coming up next, we have to get into the bad from Sunday against the Dallas Cowboys. And there was a lot to get into there and a lot to impact. So we'll get into that coming up right after this. But first, I need to tell you guys that the official sponsor of the Locked On Chargers podcast is BetOnline.ag. I don't know if you guys have been enjoying Sundays as much as I have, but now that football is back, I mean, I literally will just hang out at my house all day and bet on football games. I mean, whether it's college or the pros, the only place that I go is bet online, and it has been euphoric through two NFL weeks so far. I mean, so many good things to bet on, and they have a lot of contests and things going on as well where you can bet a little and win a lot. And if you guys head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today, you can receive a 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. And don't forget to use the promo code Locked On. That's promo code Locked On, all caps, one word, for football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Do what you need to do to get to BetOnline, the number one place where we place all of our bets. And it's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action at BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, David, well, now it's time to get into one of our patented segments that we get to every week, not trying to do too much, just looking at what went wrong over the weekend with the Chargers, and we always do this in segment two, so we can kind of ramp things up on a positive note in segment three, getting into what went right, and there was some stuff to talk about there, don't get me wrong, though, this is going to be the bigger segment. I mean, usually this was you know John's specialty, he always had about a thousand things, but We'll try to cover them as best as we can in this one. So where are you starting things off with so many things to choose from for what went wrong with the Chargers against the Cowboys?
1: I mean, the first thing, it has to be the run defense. The run defense was just absolutely atrocious in this game. They gave up nearly 200 yards rushing. Both Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott had great success. They were running through gigantic holes. The D-line was getting thrown around and literally moved out of the way. And also, you can't effectively rush the passer when – They're getting steamrolled and your opponent is staying ahead of the chains. It's just not going to work. They got to get it corrected going forward.
0: They do. And I mean, there's a couple of guys. I mean, Jerry Tillery did not have a good game in this one. I mean, I've seen some people, you know, kind of praising him for what he did in this one. It's hard to give him a passing grade from what I saw. And I went back and watched it again just to make sure after seeing some people say he had a good game. He does get the partial sack, which was nice. He did have a couple of other nice moments rushing the passer, but against the run, he was getting moved around. I mean, the dude was getting pushed up six to seven yards off of the line of scrimmage at times. Whether he was on the left or the right side, it seemingly didn't matter. He did have some plays where I thought he held up tough, but at the same time, I mean, if there's ever a double team, he's getting moved five yards off the line of scrimmage. And I just think, especially at his height, it's so hard to be a defensive tackle at that height for a reason. Because it's so hard to keep your pad level low unless you are just so extremely strong that you can, you know, have people get under you and not move. And it just seems like... And he's
1: not. And he's not. he just doesn't have that body type that you're looking for. He's just such a tall guy. He just doesn't have the, the width that you're looking for at that position. Well,
0: and I just think at a certain point it starts becoming, you know, you're just a pass rusher only. And there are a lot of defensive tackles throughout the league that can't hold up on an everyday basis against the physical fronts in the NFL that you're going to find on those offensive lines everywhere. And those guys have a role. But it's just not the role you want from a guy that you're picking in the first round. So I just wonder how long the Chargers are going to stick with it and keep trying it. Because I know after Week 1, Brandon Staley said he had a rugged performance against the run. Sunday's performance against the Cowboys was not rugged. I mean, he got pushed around, and he wasn't the only one. I mean, Eric Banks did not have a good game either. Linval, Joseph, and Christian Covington had moments, but it wasn't enough from any of the guys in that group. And they need help. They need Justin Jones back. They need to add some Forrest Merrill. They need a lot. But I want to go back to something we touched on in the first segment here about the red zone efficiency, because I ended up looking it up what the Chargers' red zone efficiency was compared to other teams across the league so far in 2021. It's not good. The Chargers are only scoring touchdowns, On 30% of their trips to the red zone, it was third worst in the NFL now that we're entering into week three. And that's just not going to get it done. And I think that was the story of the game, David. The Chargers missing opportunities. I mean, I talked about it yesterday. They only had seven drives. This is how those drives ended. Interception, field goal, touchdown, missed field goal. Field goal, interception, field goal. And when I see that, I see a lot of opportunities to score touchdowns. You're moving the ball onto the Cowboys' side of the field. You're getting close enough in striking distance, right, to put up points. And when you are putting up points, they're field goals if you can make the field goal. And obviously, Viscano missed his first one over the weekend. But that's a ton of missed opportunities and very poor red zone efficiency. All things that will have to get figured out if the Chargers do want to be that top 10 offense like I talked about.
1: It absolutely has to get better. That when when it matters, when it counts, when you're in that inside that twenty inside that gold zone, you have to convert for touchdowns. That was one of my keys last week. You can't trade field goals for touchdowns, and the Chargers just simply haven't been good enough. And also, they're allowing opponents to score touchdowns on sixty percent of their drives in the red zone as well. So the other other side of it's not looking too good. Uh, either. So for me, the other thing that went wrong in this game is something I alluded to in yesterday's episode, which is the missed tackles. I counted at least 10 missed tackles in this game and missed tackles are killer because you allow them to extend plays. You allow them to extend drives and you just can't have that. You have to get these guys on the ground. You got to be more physical. That's one thing that Brandon Staley said is they got to be more physical at the point of attack. They definitely do. Uh, that's something that can be corrected in practice, but they need to get on it.
0: Well, it's one of the harder things to correct in practice because the one thing you don't get to do at practice is tackle somebody to the ground. And I thought Brandon Staley heading into the year was kind of honest about that, just saying like, hey, you can teach tackling all you want, but until the guy has to go down before the whistle blows, you're not really going to know, right? So I did think there were some guys like Nazir Adderley, I thought had a pretty good tackling game. I thought he had some really good moments. Coming up in the running game and just being a solid tackler. But we were seeing Derwin James miss tackles, right? Kenneth Murray, another pretty sure handed tackler, missing tackles out there on Sunday. It was not a great tackling performance, especially, you know, on the edge when you can't tackle on the edge and you let guys get the corner because you're not physical there or you're Michael Davis, you know, trying to throw somebody out of bounds and can't get them out of bounds. It can't happen. I mean, the, all of that is just additional secret yardage that you're giving up. Like all, the, so many plays could have been nipped in the bud, you know, near the line of scrimmage for the Chargers on Sunday. And it just didn't happen enough. And a lot of the times it was because of that tackling. But speaking of tackles, that's next on the what went wrong, because we have to talk about Storm Norton, because (laughs) Storm Norton handled a very, very good Washington football team front, filling in for Brian Bulaga in week one against the football team. But week two reality crept back in, David. And this was something that we were very afraid of going into the year was, hey, we love the additions that you made. To the top-level talent of the Chargers on the offensive line, but there's almost no depth there, and we were all surprised when Storm Norton just had the one big play that still dramatically changed the game against Washington football team when Justin Herbert, you know, fumbled slash incomplete pass through the end zone. This week was a lot worse, David. I mean, by far, he was the worst Chargers offensive lineman. It stuck out like a sore thumb, and he was getting beat repeatedly by a rookie and Micah Parsons who normally plays off-ball linebacker and hadn't played defensive end since high school. So Michael Parson looked really good, right? But at the same time, storm Norton was incredibly bad on Sunday. I mean, according to pro football focus, nine pressures allowed David on Sunday. That was brutal. And you could see it the whole time.
1: Yeah, you definitely could. They were targeting storm Norton. I mean, I think they tried a couple of times on Rashawn Slater's side, but they learned very quickly that you don't mess with the rookie. Uh, Rashawn Slater is just ridiculous. He, he, he's the real deal for sure. But that's why they went over to Storm Norton's side. And, yes, Micah Parsons was beating him with the inside move, beating him with speed, even beating him with power. And Micah Parsons isn't really that big of a player. So that shouldn't really be happening. Now, the Chargers didn't really do much to help him. I mean, they they brought Jared Cook in to help him on a couple of occasions. And got and a holding call. got some pretty big plays. <laughs> yeah, and got a holding call Tried as well. Tried to help
0: him, but got a holding call that brings back a touchdown. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know.
1: Don't remind me. Uh, but... Yes, he was really bad in this game, Daniel. And you got to start thinking about potentially putting Matt Filer out there at right tackle. I know Brandon Staley said today, or Brandon Staley said yesterday in the Monday Zoom call that he was going to stay with Storm Norton at right tackle, but. If he continues to have these kind of problems, you really got to seriously entertain putting Matt Filer over there. My last thing real quick is the end-of-half procedures, again, in this game were lacking. They were bad. In the first game, Joey Bosa gets a, a roughing-the-passer call that allows Washington to kick a field goal before half when that should have never happened. And then against again, against the Dallas Cowboys, you have an opportunity to kick a field goal, get points, and then get the ball back after half and you missed a field goal. So their execution at the end of halftime or before halftime, Daniel, it has to get cleaned up. That's one area that is really hurting this team. That was a
0: very scary play that happened before the half or the Chargers defense almost you know, on a just catch-and-run play by CeeDee Lamb where he's just getting away from everybody. It goes 48 yards and gets down to the three-yard line or whatever it was, something along those lines, with no time left in the half, and Derwin James has to make a touchdown saving tackle along the sideline right that was a little scary i mean brandon staley kind of seemed to ride it off when he was talking about it but yeah it has to be better they didn't give up any points this time but they also you know missed that field goal going into it to tie the game like we talked about too so yeah i mean going into the half it has to be much better than it has for the chargers i mean now you've seen four end of half situations right you have the end of the half where the chargers win against the washington football team in the second half and they end that game in dominant fashion. But the other three endings to the other three halves so far through two games have all been a little sketchy, so I like that. And then, obviously, the penalties. I mean, 12 for 99 yards. I know we talked about it yesterday, but two callback touchdowns, including what would have been the go-ahead touchdown late in the game that would have put the Chargers up probably by four points if this makes the extra point. And then you also have just so many explosive plays like – the offense looks like it has an entirely different day, if not for the penalties, bringing back you know, a couple of huge plays to Mike Williams, a huge touchdown to Donald Parham, a touchdown to Jared Cook. So many of the Chargers' big plays were sapped by those penalties. Right now, Brian Staley, for as much as we love his communication all that stuff, looks like he's running one of the most undisciplined teams out there, David.
1: Yeah, exactly. And especially on the offensive side, Daniel... 10 of those 12 accepted penalties were on the offense. And it allu- you alluded to all the misplays that happened because of it. Exactly. So that's got to change.
0: And I mean, even though Justin Herbert's getting the offense, you know, down pat, doesn't mean everyone's going to learn at that same speed. So with the new coaching staff, you'd expect more penalties at the beginning of the season. We'll have to let it play out a little bit. But that was a huge takeaway from the first two games. They have to be better in that category. But we do have one more segment to get into because we do... Want to end this show on a positive note. So up next, we're gonna get into what went right in Sunday's game and highlight a couple of key performers like Mike Williams and the rookie Asante Samuel Jr. coming up right after this. But first I need to tell you guys that if there's ever any kind of auto part you need, there's only one place to go, and that is rockauto.com. Rock Auto is my favorite place to get all of my auto parts because it's so hard now to go into any kind of chain storefront and for them to stock all the parts that you need. So why endure an often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing only the brand that their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. I mean, I know I've used it multiple times already, and one of the best parts is the price, because whether you're a mechanic or a daily driver, everybody gets the best price with rockauto.com. So why spend 30, 50, even 100% more when you can go to rockauto.com, who's a family business serving do it yourselfers for over 20 years. Right now, all you have to do is go to rockauto.com and see all the parts they have available for your car or truck and write Lockdown in there. how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts of your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. I also need to tell you guys about TV Stream. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you guys a simple way to get all of that entertainment that you love without the hassle, a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called TV Stream, and it brings your live and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more about Direct you can learn more about it at directTV.com. That's directtv.com compatible device required. Content varies by package. Alright, David, well, it's not all doom and gloom for the Chargers. I'm still very high on this team, even knowing the gauntlet they're about to go through in the first eight games of the season. I mean having to have that tough game where you should have won and then now bouncing back against Kansas City is really tough, and the Chargers are going to have to kind of dig themselves out of the loss that they had on Sunday. But there are good things to talk about, and there were some Chargers that really outperformed what I think a lot of people were going to do. And I want to start with Mike Williams, who is coming off of his second very impressive performance in the 2021 season, David, and that is with everything that happened on Sunday, all the penalties. I mean, he ends up with seven catches for 91 yards, gets the touchdown in that catch-and-run situation like you talked about. Is getting more yards after the catch opportunities. And what's crazy about that game, he has seven for 91. He had a 31 yard catch called back due to an ineligible player downfield, which was a BS call. And he also had a 26 yard reception called back. So, like, his game could have been even better than it was. But through two games, David, there's not many players on the Chargers I've been more impressed with than Mike Williams.
1: Joe Lombardi said uh, before the season that if you looked at Mike Williams' stats as the ex-receiver at the end of the year, that you'd probably like what you see on the stat sheet. He's going to get a lot of opportunities, and they're scheming up ways to get him the ball in space and create yards after catch, and he's really capitalizing. He actually leads the team in yak yards at 59, which is slightly <laughs> edging out Keenan Allen at 58. So they are right next to each other, but Mike Williams is making the most – of those yak opportunities, which is awesome to see. They're really unlocking more of Mike Williams' potential, I think. My thing on what went right is Asante Samuel Jr. Asante Samuel Jr. played phenomenal football in this game, another game that he's stacking on top of his first game. According to NFL.com, he had four tackles, three passes defensed, and, of course, his first interception of his career. It was a pretty easy one. Obviously, Dak sailed it, and he was right there. But he sat right where he needed to be. He got his hands on the football, had a nice little return afterwards. But he's been making physical tackles. He's flying around. you got to really love what you've seen out of Asante Samuel, Jr. Coming in with a PFF coverage grade of 72.2 and an overall grade of 70.2 through his first two games of his career. So looking really strong for Asante Samuel, Jr.
0: And corners, you know, going into the league as rookies, it usually looks, you know, surprisingly good or terrible. And, like, terrible was an option for a lot of the corners that were taken ahead of, you know, Asante Samuel Jr. so far. Like, you don't normally get somebody that comes out of the gates as strong as Asante Samuel Jr. has. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, the interception was great to see him notch that off his list, right? It was, like, the fourth most impressive play That he made on Sunday. I mean, he had the pass breakup in the end zone against Amari Cooper, which was great. That was actually a pressure by Jerry Tillery, one of the few flashes for him in that game. The other was a fourth and five play, David, where he gets the ball back to the Chargers offense. So he catches one of the Dak Prescott passes for an interception, and he also gets the Chargers back on a turnover on downs because of that pass breakup against Amari Cooper. I mean, Even just having those three pass breakups is pretty ridiculous like for one game. I mean, that's very, very hard to do. And context matters. He was doing it against CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. I mean, Amari Cooper mostly, but look at the game that dude had against Tampa Bay Week 1, right? For the Chargers to do what they did against him was pretty impressive. But I want to touch on Austin Eckler here, David, because I think that's somebody who hasn't been talked about enough. I was very surprised, first of all, to see him come back in that game because after he took that hit, On one of the more miraculous one-handed catches I think you're ever going to see for a running back, I mean, the degree of difficulty on that catch, getting hit in the head, holding on to that on that route. I mean, the ball by Justin Herbert, like...
1: (laughs) He put it in his arm. In the cradle of his arm, he put that ball in the cradle of his arm. There
0: literally wasn't, like... If Austin Eckler had his arm out and, like, it was, you know, strong enough to just, like, wedge the ball into his forearm, like, that's what would have happened with that pass. Either way... It's an impossible catch looking back with a guy in that close of coverage on you and while taking a hit like he did, but it looks like the mouthpiece straight up fell out of his mouth at one point after that hit when he was sitting on the ground. I mean, he looked dazed, stumbled a little bit when he was getting up, but I want to talk about his game overall, David, because as a runner, he looked physical, he looked fast, he looked decisive. I mean... He looked great in this game. Nine for 54 is obviously a really nice stat line, averaging over five yards per carry. You love to see that, and you got more involved in the passing attack, and that's one of the things we talked about. It's like Last week, he doesn't get a target, but at the same time, though, they were pushing the ball down the field. They weren't just relying on him to make guys miss to pick up first downs. You saw a couple of those plays right at third and four early on in the game where they have to settle for a field goal. Pretty uninspired play call there, but... Seeing him back involved in the passing game, seeing him get nine rushes for fifty-four yards, nine receptions for sixty-one yards, like that's like On a perfect, nine targets. Yeah, that's like a perfect Austin Eckler game. You get him nine carries, get him nine receptions, you call it a day. Also gets a two-point conversion, but just somebody I don't think who's getting enough credit through two games. I mean, hey, I could put Justin Herbert in what we write because that's how good I thought Justin Herbert was outside of a handful of throws. But Austin Eckler isn't getting talked about enough because he looked. Really impressive on Sunday.
1: He really did. I mean, he was running 15, 20, 25 yards at a time, breaking through tackles, running people over at his size. I mean, Austin Eckler's looked fantastic. And then the passing aspect that we didn't see in the first game, we saw it in this second game. And he was just that incredible safety valve for Justin Herbert. And then that's just a great uh, comfort level to have, just to have a guy that you know who can really get the ball and really move it five, six yards a pop. He is a playmaker. I've always said that. For me, my last one went right is the aggressiveness that was shown by the coaching staff. They go for the two-point conversion to cut the lead to a field goal, and then they go for it on a fourth down on your own 30. Per next-gen stats, calling a QB sneak on your own 30, the Chargers elected to go for it on fourth and one in their own on their own 34-yard line, trailing 14-11 in the third quarter. Per NGS decision guide, head coach Brandon Stilley made the right call going for it, increasing the Chargers' chances of winning by 6.2%. That one decision at that point in the game increased their winning percentage by 6.2%. So I thought that was really cool. We know that Brandon Stilley's heavily into analytics, and he showed it in this game.
0: Yeah, the two-point conversion, the going for it on fourth down. I mean, you got a little taste, obviously. The win percentages don't mean anything when you don't win the game. He stayed committed to what his thoughts are on it, right? You're not seeing him waver. Even early on, he decides to go for two there, and I think it did actually help them. Towards the end of the game, they didn't have to go for anything crazy because they were only down by three points for a lot of that second half. So I just think that for the Chargers, you liked what you saw in a lot of those aspects, and I still think that Brandon Staley and this coaching staff are much different and better than the coaching staff than they had before, but to think it's going to all come together right away is a fairy tale, right? It's reality now. This is tough to do. It's the NFL. It might take a little bit of time, and I know we all got carried away with what we thought about Brandon Staley. All those things will still be true, but Brandon Staley's only had one offseason to build the roster the way he wants it, right? And to get these guys to play the way he wants them to play, so growing pains for this team In the second year of Justin Herbert, and the first year of Brandon Staley, I'm not going to worry about it too much. I mean, this is, hopefully both of these guys are with the Chargers for at least the next 10 years, right? And this will be a blip on the radar. But they're only two games deep as a tandem, Brandon Staley and Justin Herbert. So, I thought a lot of things went right for the Chargers still on Sunday. Too many things went wrong and they let that game slip away from them. Now the Chiefs are coming up and the Chargers will have to, you know, turn things around very quickly. But... That is going to do it for today's show. We appreciate you guys checking it out. We have so much more to get into this week. Tomorrow, we might get into some game reactions on our voicemail line, and the number there is 323-524-7924. And later in the week, we're going to have our crossover episode when David goes and joins the opposite team and goes behind enemy lines to find out some inside information about the Kansas City Chiefs. To make sure you don't miss it, make sure to follow the show free on all platforms wherever you get your podcast from, whether that's Spotify, the new odyssey app google podcast or apple podcast you can find us anywhere and also make sure to rate and review if it lets you on that platform so we can keep doing this thing but you can also find the show on all of our social media you can find me on twitter at dan talk sports with a bunch of cowboys fans talking trash to me right now you can find david on twitter at dro talk sd and you can find the show's twitter at locked on lac we also post all of the shows on our new at locked on chargers instagram and our Locked on Chargers Facebook page. But don't forget to check back in with us tomorrow, guys. Until then, take it easy and go bolts.